Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Peter Gorl, Senior Vice President, Client Experiences for TechBlocks, and I'm your host today. My company was designed to help small, medium, and enterprise companies optimize their business in the digital world. And a great example of the kind of work that we do is the building of self-serve portals that empower our clients' customers by giving them online access to content that ordinarily they'd have to go to a call center for. My co-host today is none other than Tom Tutal Cunningham. Tom before we introduce our special guest today, perhaps you'd introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Tom Tutal Cunningham. Thanks so much, Peter. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert, which is a self-proclaimed title. I help people think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges of life. And people can find me at my website. It's Tom, the number two and tall, T-A-L-L, dot com. And don't be confused, I'm five foot one, not seven foot eleven. Back to you, Peter. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thanks, Tom. And it's great to have you on board here again today. Our special guest today is John Beresford. He's a co-founder of Event Peaks and more recently a company called Revenue U. Having started out in the pharmaceutical industry, John transitioned to the tech space when he was recruited to a small Waterloo company in the early 2000s called Research in Motion, go figure, which would later become BlackBerry. Leading North America's sales and marketing teams at BlackBerry gave John a front row seat to the birth of the smartphone revolution. While completing an MBA at Wilfrid Laurier University, John met the co-founders who would eventually start a company called Event Peaks, which has evolved into Canada's preeminent social media broadcasting company, focusing on live experiences and social analytics. I like that. Event Peaks was born out of the Laurier University Launchpad Program, which, provi- which prides itself in applying academic rigor to the lean startup method but also serves as an incubator for Laurier startups. Following graduation, John went on to help manage the Launchpad program and teach entrepreneurship courses at Wilfrid Laurier University. 
It was his experience at the launch pad that inspired the work being done now at the Revenue U. John and his Revenue U team now deliver experiential sales training to early stage companies across Canada. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, this is uh, this this topic is uh, near and dear to both uh, Tom and I's heart. That's for sure. Um, let me start off with the first question. Um, as a university edu- educator, uh, why do you believe creating a new sales education company was important? Yeah, it's interesting having you know two degrees now, uh, one in one in business. What I've noticed was you could specialize in marketing and you could take courses that you could take endless amounts of courses in finance you could you can get a doctorate in finance and accounting and uh, hr and um but but nothing in a business school is tailored towards sales and revenue generation they get mixed in and and there's spatterings of some course curriculum there, but there's very little. It's shocking how consistent it is across business schools, not just in Canada, but the U.S., around the world, where, you know, almost no attention has been given to the burden of how do I get more sales? How do I run a sales team? And what's what's funny, or at least I find a little hypocritical in all of this, is that, you know, the accounting and finance and human resources, they're all you know, subsets. There's a result of having an ability to go out and sell. And so if you can't do that first part, then there's no beans for the accountants to count, right? There's no there's no people for the HR folks to hire. And so we see sales and revenue generation as, as a critical aspect of business development that we think is just overlooked in post-secondary education. Oh, you know, that that's music to my ears because I, I actually am a mentor in, uh, with uh, Futurepreneur Canada, and you know the biggest, biggest downfall that I recognize is that they come out of school, they've got their MBAs, and they're dying to go. They just don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. So you're, this is this sounds like a welcome uh, a welcome uh, course in uh, what really happens in uh, real life when you open up a business. Yeah, yeah, we get that feedback quite a quite a bit. I bet you do, uh, Tom. Perhaps you have a question for John. Well, when I'm reading this uh, introduction and the word experiential sales training, as a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor, most of the course, or a lot of the course, or at least the trip part of the course, where everybody from around the world comes together. Uh, it is termed experiential learning. The director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, Judy Williamson, loves experiential learning. And I've I've never been involved, as far as I can recall, in experiential sales training. So can you explain that a little bit, John, for my own uh, for people who may be 52 years old like myself, been through so many sales courses, but never been through one experientially? Right. Yeah, and I mean the term actually lends itself really well to what we do. It's almost, you know, it's almost a cliche. It just goes with its thing. So, you know, anyone that takes our course is there because they're hungry. They've got a story to tell. They've got a flag that they want to put in the ground that says, "This is me. 
and this is what I've made, and this is what I want to build a business around. And so for us, it's just natural. Anyone that's coming into our course, they're not there, they're not there to get a, an A- minus or something and move on to other things. They're in our classrooms because they have a business to build, and they're dying to get out and talk, to, talk about it. So it's, a, so it's a real easy fit. The approach that we've taken is um, in the training we do, there's some academic discipline to it, right? There's an academic rigor that goes into best practices and, and how to manage um, a funnel and a pipeline and, and best practices for things like cold calling and introductions and managing the customer flow. That, that need, you need to have a base knowledge there. But every session we do, every class we have, people stand up and are applying that knowledge to their businesses, right? It's always about, okay, let's work on how you're framing up the value proposition for your business. And we hear it, coach them, nope, let's do it again. That's not clear. Ask two more people if they can explain it the way you want it explained because referrals are everything. And if that's not happening, then, okay, let's try it again. And then the homework assignments we give folks are all related to the businesses they're building in real time. They come back week after week, and the homework assignments are related to, did I go out and call 25 folks? What was that experience like? How am I going to adjust my uh, funnel, uh, my sales process based on that? Everything needs to be teach in the classroom. 90% of the work needs to be done by the entrepreneur out in the field, and then we come back a week later and then and coach around it again. And so that's sort of what we mean by experiential. Interesting. Now, are you actually putting bums in seats, pardon the phrase, or is this a, a partially online too? Tell us a little bit about uh, how it manifests itself. R right. So as of right now, there's there's two courses that we run that, that constitute um, uh, uh, the Revenue U. One is really a sort of a sales 101 introduction course, and and that's where we do apply some of the academic aspects of building a good sales process, understanding customer sales cycles, that sort of stuff. That's uh, that's a six-week course, and people are working on their businesses as they're building that. And then the second aspect of our course is called the 90-day sprint to revenue, and this functions as a private, uh, semi-private board meeting for co-founders. So you got to remember that the target market for what we're doing is, you know, the ideal customer is four engineers. I'm picking on engineers because my dad's an engineer and uh, all my uncles are engineers. I'm, I'm, I'm the only one in the family who's not an engineer, so I'm allowed to pick on engineers. <laughs> the, the, the ideal customer for us is four engineers who are amazingly bright, have a great idea with some traction in the market, and the way it usually works is the least best engineer is forced to go out and be the business development person. <laughs> so we take them in for and give them a baseline knowledge about sales. But then what we want to do is instill into these companies from a very early age the importance of uh, focusing on revenue. It can't just be you know, an afterthought that if we build a product and put it in market, it's just going to take off and we'll be fine. No, what we want is to mimic what's really successful companies like BlackBerry and IBM and Oracle and Salesforce.com, they have a culture of driving revenue. So our 90-day sprint to revenue is really a, a private board meeting where you typically have maybe four co-founders, four to five co-founders each week. And we recreate the Monday morning meeting that makes most of these Fortune 100 companies really successful. And so we have them working on their business, coaching them through what's going on in real time, for 90 days, 
And the reason it's paced that way is the psychology research would indicate that anything that's around 90 days, if you do something for 90 days, it tends to become habit forming. And so that's what we want our graduates to leave with is, you know, they want, we want them to keep having that Monday morning revenue-focused sales meeting. We want them to keep coaching new employees about how to keep the foot on the gas and drive revenue. And so that's sort of what we're trying to do with those two courses. That's brilliant. Uh, John, uh, did you pick Waterloo um, purposely? Because, you know, uh, it's a well-known fact that there's some great, there's some great uh, startup companies in the, that have come out of that area and, and continue to come out of the uh, the universities in in uh, in the region. Tell us about tell us about a little bit more about that. Yeah, I could talk all day about the Waterloo region. I'm so <laughs> proud of what's going on there. And to be honest, the revenue you, the company, the course, the way we deliver it, I would say it's a byproduct of the region as opposed to us choosing the region. The fact that myself and Andrew Abishar, who started up. Uh, Tech Capital Partners and co-founded the Revenue U with me because we live in the Waterloo ecosystem and because we're surrounded by startups and because we're surrounded by amazing support centers like Communitech and the Accelerator Center and uh, University of Waterloo and of course my alma mater uh, Wilfrid Laurier University and the Launchpad program because we're immersed in that um, that's what's birthed the revenue you i don't think we would have built this company if we hadn't been surrounded by startups and seen firsthand where the biggest challenges uh challenges were lying what's going on in waterloo is really you know it's it's at a world-class level right there's you know a handful of places in the world where um so much energy and effort is going into this innovation startup ecosystem and and it's if, if anyone is outside of the Waterloo region and hasn't been hasn't been exposed to it, I, I implore you to come and pop into Communitech and take a look at what's going on. So to answer your question, we feel that um, what we're doing is a byproduct of the fact that we are from the Waterloo region and not the other way around. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, and I'm, uh, I actually spent uh, 15 years of my life in Waterloo and, uh, and did take some courses at University of Waterloo as part of my uh, growing up. And so I'm very, very familiar with the organizations. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't think you could have picked a better spot, to tell you the truth. And I, I do agree with you. It is world class. Um, let me take you back a little bit. You talked about taking engineers and trying to m transform engineers into business people that, that would go out and, and evangelize and, and, and sell, their, sell their product that they built. That that seems to me like it would be an awkward transition. Talk to us, if you will, about the kinds of things that you've had to face in in putting people across that chasm, as it were, and uh, and how you how you've uh, kind of what shall we say solutioned uh, the situation. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and I'm definitely don't want to pick on engineers. I <laughs> my two co-founders are engineers. And uh, brilliant guys, but but you're right, and it extends. You know, we sort of do the cliche engineering guys as the example, but but the reality is, is a lot of the business grads are coming out with, you know, not the strongest comfort level in sales, um, and, and even some folks that have sort of been in business development roles in larger organizations, I don't know if they're used to the kind of fight that comes with building your own business and starting from ground zero. And so there's a lot of folks who 
who benefit from what we're doing. But to go back to your question, um, w- one of the ways we do it is by there's a couple of things that we do that seem to work really well for helping people get over that, that gap of awkwardness about selling. One is we keep the classroom sizes really small. Um, we tend to allow for our sort of our more academic sales one-on-one course, we, we, we kind of want to have about 10 companies in the classroom. More than that is, is not quite as productive. It needs to be this small um, uh, group of people who can get to know each other and trust each other and uh, are all there for the right reasons. And so that's what we tend to find. Um, the, the second piece of it is really in getting people up out of their chairs and breaking them out of their shell early. Teaching them that you know sales is a full <laughs> contact sport, and so the very first day it's okay. Stand up and tell us what it is you do. If we don't understand it, you get five minutes to regroup. We're going to ask you to do it again, and 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 that's that's part of what you need to do. It is it is you need people to habituate to the point that they're no longer nervous talking in front of people. You get used to that from doing it over, uh, over and over. That repetition helps. So that's another element of of what we go into. In addition to keeping the class sizes small, one of the things that's unique about our course is we allow more than one member of the company to attend. So we don't price our program out by number of bums and seats. We say, you know, there's 10 companies going to come in, and if there's two or three people from that company that want to be there, let's bring them all. It yeah. takes more than one person to start a sales culture. And if you've got a co-founder who needs to be here as well, let's get you guys in as a team. If you need a support system, that's fine. Let's go and, and go through the journey together. So that's another thing that I think has gone over really well with the companies that we uh, we bring in to help them get comfortable quick and also just get rolling and make sure that the company and all the co-founders are on the same page when we're doing this. That's absolutely fabulous. And I would say when when the audience actually hears this, that they will actually say, you know, I want to do that too. Forget about the fact that I'm not a startup. I've got a company that needs a, a boost. Uh, is are your course is your courseware open to those kinds of companies too, or not? No, it absolutely is indeed. I mean, we started out. It, it, it's as we started out on this journey, we built it for early stage companies because we thought that we sort of saw in the market that that was the that was the had the they had the greatest need. But what we've seen over time is that sales training is just something, like I said, isn't being addressed by post-secondary institutions. And so there's a gap. We were surprised across the board how much of a gap has been. So we've had multiple mid-market companies send sales reps to our courses. So companies with, you know, north of $20 million a year in revenue, folks that you would anyone would sort of stand back at and look and go, gosh, yeah, they must have it all figured out. And instead, when you dig into it, you go, yeah, there's a lot of room for improvement there. And so, yeah, we've had mid-market uh, sales folks attend our courses as well. Yeah, no, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know, I can think of, uh, I think, I can think of a hundred guys who'd probably line up right now. Uh, you know, once they once they got their head around this, um, tell me, what was the what was the essence uh, behind? Like when people discover something and and develop something, there's usually some kind of epiphany that they go through some kind of connectivity with something what I, I, you know i understand why but what is it that made you go down this path 
Right. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a great question, and uh, Andrew Abishar and I have, have both talked about this at length because Andrew, Andrew's a co-founder and a huge and a huge factor in how we've built this company. And it's interesting for two reasons. There's two sort of big things that um, that came across us in Epiphany, and they came from Andrew being a venture capitalist who's seen countless deals. Right. He saw he, he, everyone has pitched him. He's had two funds that were in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and so he's seen every pitch in the world. And then I have a startup company as well, and we've sort of started from ground zero. We didn't go out and get financing. We were fortunate enough to revenue raise um, and support ourselves early on. But I, but it was that experience as being a startup founder that really um, showed us a couple of things. One is we wouldn't know a good idea if it hit us in the face. <laughs> like that's a really important one to sort of get a grasp of. Everyone thinks there's this magic to entrepreneurship where you know, it's this Newton sitting under the tree, and if the apple falls and hits you and you get this idea, everything's just going to work out. And that's not the case, right? We wouldn't know a good idea if, if you know, we stumbled over it. The way you, as and Andrew often tells the story, the way you know as a venture capitalist if an idea is good is, does the market get really excited about it? Are they paying for your services? Are they so excited about what you're doing that they're going to put their hand up and open up their... Um, they're, they're going to open up their finances and say, you know what, we're going to invest in what you're doing because it's so important to us. And if you can't demonstrate that, then you really, you know, all these pitch competitions that we talk about and, you know, these Dragon's Den type um, events that they hold, they're kind of, you know, in the real world, and I've done some financing, uh, I've tried to raise money on behalf of another startup here in town. The, the question always comes back to how much revenue have you driven? You know, looking for financing, how much revenue have you driven? And if the answer is zero, then you've really got a tough hill to climb. So that's sort of one of the things. Um, and then the second piece of it just came from working with Communitech and Accelerator Center and my work, especially with Wilfrid Laurie's Launchpad program. It just felt like there was this long ramp from product ideation, figuring out product market fit, and then suddenly getting yourself to a point where you could, you know, hire a few people and, you know, there's a certain level a company's got to get to just to, you know, even there's this platform of revenue that they've got to get to just to even call themselves a company. There's operating, you know, they got to get to a certain operating budget just to even make them uh, call themselves a company. And there was a gap in people who were getting that product market fit, but it was just taking a really long time for them to come back and go, yeah, you know, we're still... You know that we still can't pay ourselves. That's a great example, right? Um, we're still running on you know fumes as a company, and, and it's been 16 months. And so those are sort of the things that really shook us up in the market and said, "Gosh, there's got to be a way to help these folks out." And uh, and apparently, as we dug into it, it really is this notion of are you focused on revenue in addition to being focused on the product and focused on you know, building a startup or focused on financing. Who's the person that's each week focused on Absolutely. And, and you definitely, I must say, and just I can just tell in the tone of your voice, you definitely are a focused guy. That's for sure. And and, and I, I love the way that you're laying it out. It's it's uh, it makes it even that more interesting and I and let's face it, that's probably an element of element of the training that needs to be trans transitioned to your students. Is that <laughs> yeah. confidence and that ability to believe in yourself and believe in the product that you created. 
Yeah, you're you're bang on. Confidence is such an important part of sales, and confidence comes from knowing that you've got something, right? It's knowing that you've got product market fit. You've talked to so many people in your potential market, and they've told you, yeah, you know, what you're doing is important to us. That's where the confidence comes from. But the part that you mentioned, I think, is really important for a startup founder, is this notion of focus. Um, you know, when you're the founder, there's an endless number of things to distract you. Uh, all the way from choosing, you know, most of the startup founders, choosing a logo is one of the most, <laughs> you know, the least important thing, but it's one of the things that takes up everybody's time. And writing copy for your website takes your time. And, you know, uh, if you're doing a financing round, that takes, an, um, uh, you know, an enormous amount of time. And so there's all these distractions that go on with being a founder of a small company. And at the end of the week, it's easy to look back and go, gosh, I've really been busy, but of the 60 hours I worked, how many of them were dedicated to driving revenue for this company? Because, yeah. you know, Monday morning when we all wake up, that's the number we're all going to focus on and that's the number we're going to live and die by. And if I look back, you know, I only spent 10% of my time driving the thing that's most important to us. And it happens quite a bit. And I'm, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it some weeks. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, we all are. That's uh, that's yeah. the nature of the business. <laughs> Peter, uh, can I jump in here? Uh, I have yeah, a, 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 a you know what, question. Tom, you'll have to you'll have to uh, <laughs> you'll have to accept my apology, my friend. Uh, John and I getting carried away here with each other's uh, self-importance, and we forgot about you. <laughs> John, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Napoleon Hill and his book Think and Grow Rich. For 100 million copies sold since 19. Uh, I should know the date, 37, uh, when it was published. But most of the readers and most of the certified instructor and most of the people that are fans of it that I know of are entrepreneurs. Sure, there's C-level executives of billion-dollar companies that have read Think and Grow Rich, but 80% probably of the fans and readers and followers of Napoleon Hill are entrepreneurs. And when you get them in a room, exciting but do you have some advice for the early stage entrepreneurs to help them get off on the right track right away yeah i mean it's it's a great question and, and and now i need to absolutely read this book you've sold me on on this book this will be the next thing i read when i fly home from uh, california this week that'll be the book i read on the airplane um but but you but you're right there's you know there's there's First, the first piece of advice for entrepreneurs that I often give my students is that it's really hard and there's no right answers. So most of us have been brought up in, in school, right? You, every, since kindergarten until we graduate, so there's a right and wrong answer for everything we do. And unfortunately in business, you just, you're never given that You always feel like you're flying blind. So the first piece of advice to entrepreneurs is that if it feels confusing, it's because it is, so don't get discouraged. It's confusing for everyone. Um, but, there's, but there's a couple of basics, and they're not necessarily my personal um, pieces of advice, but they're just things that as a, as a startup founder and as I work in the ecosystem, I'm hearing over and over again from the stakeholders that matter, whether it's government people who are helping you get funding or venture capitalists or, or some of the incubator leaders. So, you know, one of them we've, we've noticed is that um, – uh, startups tend to work better when there's a founding team. So it's not to say that the individual entrepreneur certainly can't make it work, but if you're doing something fairly involved and really innovative, um, it, it's going to be a tough hill to climb. And, and what we've found is that teams that have multiple co-founders 
tend to do better than the people that were just by themselves for for obvious reasons, right? There's you know more than you know more than one opinion. There's a support system there. Um, it, it works really well when the founding team is nice and balanced. The typical one is you know the, the technical person and the marketing person and the finance person. Um, even VCs and financiers do tend to put some weight to uh, the team and the fact that the team's balanced. So, so that's another one. Um, and then the the biggest thing we teach at the Laurier Launchpad program, and, and we're disciples of the Steve Blank Lean methodology, is to treat your business like a series of hypotheses. And so what we find is that people, you know, the apple hits them <laughs> on the head and they go, that's it, I've got it, I've got the idea, this is it, I'm going to quit my job because we're going to make millions. And it's really hard to talk someone off, talk someone down from that high, right, that inception high and and talk to them in a way to say I know you're really passionate about this idea and I know you know in your heart of hearts that it's going to work but I implore you to break that idea into a series of hypotheses I think customers like this are going to want to buy this and I think customers like that are going to want to pay this or I think that uh, you know a security uh, system like this is going to go over really well with banks and that's how who we're going to sell to if you, instead of going in blind, treat them as a series of hypotheses that you're trying to prove with market research, get out of the building, talk to as many people as you can, find ways to test your idea. Um, it, it, that's the that's a really critical part of that lean methodology that I think is easy to give lip service to. It's easy to write a book about, but then week in, week out, we see startup founders drifting away from that, and they get back to working on the product, building the business in their own head. They're not really taking a scientific approach where if they were to say, <clears throat> I've asked 200 people if they're interested in the way we've got something set up. We built a fake website to show them what it could look like, and 200 people, and only two people said they were interested. I've got to reevaluate things. Not enough people do that. So that's sort of the, the big one we teach at Laurier. Um, and then the, the final one is, is to really focus on revenue early. It's, uh, you know, and, and I'm old enough to not be um, someone, you know, I'm certainly not a millennial. And so this notion of I'm going to build this product and I'm going to pour my heart and soul into it and I don't expect anyone to pay me for the next seven years or whatever Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and Snapchat and all these social services, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a phenomena of, you know, recent years. And while there's a couple of success stories that we point to, Google being an obvious one, um, it, it just it doesn't happen that often, right? It, that's sort of lightning striking when there's the Google or Twitters of the world. What, what's, what's much more likely is that if you're not, if you don't have a good path to revenue early on, you're going to struggle. I mean, you're eventually going to need to find a way that someone's going to want to pay for your services. If not, you don't have a business. If not, you just have an idea. If you can't monetize it, then it's not a business. And I think that's something that gets overlooked a little bit with some of my students where they go, ah, well, build a good product, get lots of users, and we'll worry about the revenue later. And I implore anyone who's building a business to make sure they're thinking about revenue generation every step of the way, even if it doesn't come until you have critical mass of users, like a kit or something like that. But eventually, the buck is going to stop. And the party's going to be over. And, and, you know, we're sort of seeing it with Twitter right now. They're even, you know, Twitter took a long time for Twitter to get to a point that they could monetize $2 billion. I'm sure they wish they would have had a monetization strategy a little bit earlier. But, yeah. um, 
But that's so that's the three things that I tell uh, tell my students. Brilliant nuggets. Um, Peter, Peter, before you go on, I got to make a comment here. John, <laughs> this will encourage you to read the book. Uh, so Napoleon Hill came up with 17 success principles, but he was commissioned by Andrew Carnegie, who even today would have been the richest man in all of history, a United States Steel founder. And the only success principle Andrew Carnegie actually invented, because all the other ones are common words that we all know is called the mastermind alliance it was his second most important principle and he would actually almost brag that he knew almost nothing about manufacturing steel (laughs) but he said the secret to his success was he hired the very best people on the planet for every of his business and he paid them really well but he said that (laughs) mastermind alliance was the key to the success of him and his business because, as he said, he really knew himself almost nothing about manufacturing steel. It is, you know what, that is a, I'm going to steal that because it is a brilliant observation and it's so true. And and the challenge is that it's, it's, it's incredibly true in business. You do need the best of the best. You do need to, you know, coalesce the best minds to help work on it. And it's, and it's one of the burdens of startup, of a startup company in that, you know, you hope that you can attract the right co-founders and you hope you can attract the right early, uh, you know, early partners. But with, with very little money and very little traction, it's even harder to try and get those masterminds together. <laughs> I'm convinced it's one of the hardest parts uh, about building a startup is, is it's so hard to get the right people around you. And if you don't, um, you're really, really playing from behind. So that's, a, you know, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Yeah, well, I've seen it, uh, John, where, you know, it generally takes between two and three years for some level of maturity to come into a startup. I mean, reality is you could still be seven years in business and still be a startup, the the way that things move and the pace at which people um, almost quit on you by virtue yeah. of, you know, not being bought in and uh, to the goal and you know, and, and not positioning themselves properly. I mean, is that something that you you help your students with? We do. Like the folks, that it's it's really interesting. So our, our company's great because we've got the greatest jobs in the world. One is that we just meet the most interesting, ambitious people, you know, every single class. They're there because they care. It's the easiest thing to teach because everyone wants to be there. Right? Our attendance is 100% every week because they all care so much. Um but, uh, you know, one of the things that we do is try and, and keep touch with them, right? So we're even, in, we're even looking at implementing an alumni program where once people have finished the courses, if they want, um, we could offer a service whereby we'll get some of the alumni back together for more coaching. And because we know it's not done, uh, it's certainly not done overnight. And, and it's why, you know, books like the one you referenced are, are so important um, because there's this level of personal resilience that goes into entrepreneurship that's almost unheard of in any other facet of business. Um, the story I tell is, uh, you know, we had launched Event Peaks, uh, you know, 18 months ago, two years ago. And, and so you're sort of into it and you're in the grind and it's early days and, and you don't have enough money yet. No one knows who you are and you don't know what you should be doing. And I remember there was a, there's a, a wonderful gentleman in the Waterloo region. This is one of the great, this is one of the most amazing things about the Waterloo region is it's filled with brilliant people who all want to help. It's, it's incredible. 
where there's a, there's a gentleman who's sold a company for hundreds of millions of dollars, an amazingly successful person who's willing to talk to me, this startup nobody who's willing to have a coffee with me and give me his advice. And we sort of went over where we were at as a company, and, and he, he finished his coffee, and he sort of takes his, and he looks and goes, you know, where you guys are right now at eight months, you're doing great. You're, you know, you're, you're way ahead of where I was at your stage. You know, in six years' time, you guys are going to be fine. <laughs> and you just think, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you go, what? <laughs> I've got a wife and a baby. Like, what but I want it now. <laughs> so I was just crushed. <laughs> he said it. But he's not wrong, right? It's, he's, he's right. It's, just, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough road to go down. So that's why things like Communitech, um, the Laurier Launchpad program, they're, they're more than just, you know, a place to go and have a meeting, right? They're a family, there's community. The mentoring that you do with futurepreneurs is really important. You know firsthand it's, that the mentoring is critical because what these folks are doing, this entrepreneurship, you know, ride that they're on is really tough. So um, we try and keep touch with everyone and help in any way we can. Yeah. Now, you've been in business since, what, the beginning of the year? Yeah, so for the Revenue U, it's interesting. We tested the courses at a Communitech for over a year now. So the curriculum was built um, within uh, Communitech Startup Services, and uh, we had built the uh, we built the curriculum, and we had put you know dozens and dozens, I think more than sixty companies had gone through the training, and then um, after that we brought in a professional academic uh, coursework developer, and then they helped us take you know, the, the best practices and the lessons and the nuggets that we were teaching in our courses and really turn it into a bit more of an academic discipline. And so that all happened. Yeah, you're right. It would have been a, uh, February of 2015 is, re- is really when we sort of incorporated and turned it into a company. Excellent. And what kind of success have, have you seen so far for yourself? Yeah, I mean, we're really pleased. It's Yeah, I mean, as a guy with a tech company on the side, this was, you know, uh, um, th- this one's been uh, a much easier sell than trying to explain social media analytics and technology to people. But, um, yeah, the success for this one is exactly what we wanted. So uh, Communitech are huge supporters of us, and they've um, signed a partnership with us that takes us right through to the end of the year. So within Communitech, I believe we're going to train over 120 companies this year. Startup companies. Wow. It's unbelievable. And then following that, we struck up a partnership with um, another really impressive organization, which is uh, the Digital Media Zone, or DMZ, out of Ryerson. So they're Canada's largest startup incubator. And so we've been running courses out of uh, Ryerson in in downtown Toronto um, for the past two terms now. And so we've got a relationship going forward with them. And so we're just now getting introduced to some of the other centers as they bring us on board as a, as a uh, training platform for their companies. And then the final piece, which we're really proud of, was the Ontario Centers of Excellence, or OCE. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with them, they're critical to the startup ecosystem here in Ontario. They really do uh, create the programs that funnel money from the different government agencies much-needed funding, funding, funding to yeah. these startup companies. And so for, uh, for them, we're one of the official training partners of OCE. If you apply for the OCE Smart Start program, you know, the Revenue U sales training courses are, you know, checks in the box for part of the application form. So we're thrilled to be working with them as, as that. And so, so we've had quite a bit of success really quickly, which leads us to believe that there's, there's a need for this out there. There's a real... Uh, pressing need, and so we're excited to bring it to more people. 
sounds really exciting. Tom, um, uh, we are coming up to uh, the hour, and I'm just wondering whether uh, you have an additional question for John. I do, I do, actually, because it's what brought me to you in the first place. I'm quite a fan of interesting domain names and company names, and Peter and I should kick each other in the butt because we haven't given your website yet. Well, we said the name of the company, which is the same as the website, therevenueu.com. But the word the is important. Uh, it imply, if you look at important sales words and whatever, the is important. But Revenue U, when I saw that on LinkedIn, I like smacked myself in the head. And it was like, <laughs> what? Therevenueu.com. I was like, wow. So who came up with that? Because that is... Uh, Fascinating name, a great website domain, <laughs> and a great description of what you do. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, my business partner, and uh, yeah, Andrew Abishar gets full credit for, for coming up with that. Um, it, it's interesting, yeah. We, we wanted everything we do to be focused in, in, on, on revenue, just like we said, right? We can teach a lot of different things, but this, it's this focus of sales and revenue generation that's missing. So that's we really wanted to hang our hat on this focus approach of revenue. And then um, the U piece goes back to that first question, right? We were extremely frustrated that more academic institutions aren't doing this. And they should be doing this. They should be teaching these sales courses. You should be able to get a degree in revenue generation and sales, but it doesn't exist. And so we really wanted to align ourselves with that notion of, you know, we're filling in a gap from your university degree. And uh, you're not allowed to call yourself a university unless you have gone through many, many steps, so which is good. So, uh, so we sort of went with the nomenclature of the, uh, the revenue U, which people know from, um, uh, you know, typically uh, you'd see the Greek lettering and recognize yep. that, okay, this means education. Totally. Actually, I have taken a look at your website, and it's blunt, to the point, very effective. I mean... Just on the front landing page, you just tell it all. In 18 weeks, you'll improve your sales skills, develop effective sales processes, build a funnel of real prospects, and learn how to manage a sales-driven organization. Amen to that. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the burden of running a sales course. So if you're uh, touting yourselves as experts in education and sales, then um, your, your pitches better be good or everyone will call you out on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can slight you on the way that you look yes, online you, you either, that's for sure. And, uh, and uh, you know, I have cool. experience there because that's exactly uh, where my business lies. And so uh, kudos to you and Andrew and the team for putting a very clean, crisp representation of what exactly it is. And, and, and you speak it. You know, I can tell. You speak it as simple and plain English, which is really uh, adoptable to anybody that, that either has had exposure or non-exposure to sales. So well done. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, you see it with our students and, and even companies. Um, early on, they're their messages and their value propositions are very long and complex. It's almost like they're overthinking it. And really, when a business is on to something, when a business is, is humming, and when you've got a connection with a potential customer, you can, you can just get right to the point. We do this because this is what needed to be done in the market, and this is how you're going to buy it. It, it, it just it, 
too much goes into copywriting and the marketing speak. It's it's so much more powerful when it's just to yeah. the point and resonates to cuts cuts right to the core of what you're trying to do with someone. I, I think customers appreciate that. Yeah, no, it reminds me of my my favorite TED talk, Simon Sinek, that says the the why, right? Yeah. Not, not all the blase stuff around it, but why you're doing it, and it makes so much so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Uh, Tom, do you have anything else uh, to ask uh, uh, our special guest before we call it a day? Not uh, really, but you ended with the number one principle of Napoleon Hill, 17 uh, principles. The number one principle is definiteness of purpose or motivation, or as you said, as Simon Sinek says, why? If you have the why, then you can go through those sleepless nights. You can go through those long weeks and hours and days and months and years because you have a definite purpose. And one thing about having a definite purpose, it allows you to unfocus on all the other stuff in the world out there that really isn't your focus. And so, uh, yeah, exactly. You know your why. It's well described on your website. And uh, as Peter said earlier, I, I think your market is more than uh, startup uh, companies and startup founders. I think your market is anybody who is a leader of a business or wants to grow their sales. It, yeah. it is exciting, that's for sure. Yeah. So, John, um, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. But before we let you go, I'd like to give you uh, the last minute or so so that you can tell the audience how they get a hold of you, where they can find you, and uh, next steps. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to be on the show. I've learned a ton, and I'm definitely going to pick up the, the book you referenced. Um, Think and Grow Rich. Yes, right. <laughs> it, it, it seems very well aligned with what we're trying to do, so it's just great. I, now I've got my reading for the flight home. But, uh, yeah, for the Revenue U, uh, the best way to get hold of us is is to visit the website. Um, we've got a contact button there. You can find out more about the courses there. And we're even, we're even listing the courses that we have coming up on the website. So it's always a place you can go to say, okay, is there a revenue course running in Ottawa this term? Is there a revenue course running in Toronto and, and Waterloo? And so we run them concurrently. We've got a number of trainers. Uh, so that the website is definitely the best place to find information and get a hold of us, and that's uh, www.therevenueu.com. Perfect. Fantastic. Are you on social media by any chance, John? I am indeed. So you can check out, uh, we're on Twitter, at TheRevenueU as well. Excellent. Just the letter U. Brilliant. Brilliant. Hey, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. The, like I said, this subject is near and dear to Tom and I's heart, and as I can tell, it is yours too. And um, I actually look forward to uh, um, meeting you uh, someday soon too because, uh, uh, for me, you're accessible. Not today because you're in California, but the fact <laughs> that you're in the Kitchener-Waterloo market, uh, it's a place that's near and dear to my heart, and I visit it often. So I hope to... I hope to meet up with you and uh, round out this relationship. But it's been great Absolutely. to you. You know, I, I'm there all the time. And so uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. The next time you're passing through, I'll uh, buy you a coffee and give you a quick tour around Communitech. That would be Well, I've been in the, I've been in the building a, a, a number of times because we have a number of clients and friends in that space. But uh, definitely always a great place to hang out and uh, 
meet some uh, new and exciting people, and it's uh, great to have met you. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. It's been a real pleasure. My pleasure. It's been a lot, it's been a lot of fun. I think we could talk probably for three and a half weeks, but we do have to cut it off. <laughs> At a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then I would I would tell my students that you got to wrap it up here. Like, uh, yeah, you got to wrap it up. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at TomTooTall.com for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.